Hey, what's up, everybody? Let's Talk Sports with Kanoa Leahy and Jordan Helley is presented by Domino's Hawaii, now promising contactless delivery to assure that your pizza is delivered safely to your door. Domino's Hawaii wants to thank its entire team for their efforts in staying safe, keeping sanitized, and working hard to serve our neighbors during these trying times. And a special thanks to you, the customers, for your continued trust. As a locally owned company, Domino's Hawaii knows there are people seeking work, and it is hiring as many in our community as possible right now. We're all in this together, so take care out there, and let's look forward to the next big sporting event where we can all gather and celebrate as one. All right, let's talk sports. Hey, what's up, Jordan? It's actually been a minute, as the kids say, right about a week since we did our last podcast episode. And that's not by design. That is because that is one of the cruel realities of remote podcasting is when you have a laptop that has all of the podcasting software attached to it, and it doesn't start up, then there's really no other option for you but to take it into some computer repair place and have them figure out how to turn it back on for you, which is exactly what I experienced, thanks to the peeps at Mac Made Easy for getting my laptop back on track. Uh, but that's the reason why we didn't record a podcast episode for about a week. Yeah, that's, um, that's pretty small-time production value stuff right there. Yeah, did you try unplugging it and then plugging it back in first or uh, anything like that? No, I, I can relate, man. I've, I think like most people, at one point or another, right, your, your laptop's going to kind of crap out and there's nothing you can do about it. And when we rely on that, it's not like we've got a studio to go into or anything like that, right? We're trying to, we're trying to practice the proper social distancing, so it's not like you can just uh, load up and, and head to, to some central locale. So it's, uh, yeah, our apologies, but uh, it happens. Yeah, I'm sure it happens to Joe Rogan all the time, right? He's just like, oh, sorry, yeah. my, my highly anticipated and huge money-producing podcast. Uh, couldn't get up earlier this week because, you know, uh, my laptop couldn't reboot. Yeah, I'm sure that he runs into those problems as well. Uh, just a reminder of where we are here in the hierarchy of the yeah. podcast universe. Um, well, we are excited about the show. We have Alex Urban, Executive Director of the Century Tournament of Champions at Kapalua, joining us a little bit later. Uh, I think it's pretty timely to talk with him uh, obviously, in this time of civil and social unrest and with the advancement of the Black Lives Matter movement, uh, we, of course, are featuring three fair-skinned guys talking story about one of the more historically white sports in America. So it's very fitting that the timing couldn't be more perfect. Uh, but in actuality, from a sports standpoint, it is pretty timely because golf is back this week, baby. The PGA uh, is uh, back in action over there at the Colonial in Texas. So uh, we're going to talk with Alex Urban about the significance of that as we annually do the countdown towards the Century Tournament of Champions at Kapalua in January. Yeah, always fun to catch up with Alex, right? Uh, we, we regularly talk to him on uh, our former radio show when, uh, when we were up and running and, and uh, doing that program. Uh, great guy, uh, does a great job with the Century Tournament of Champions. And uh, yeah, as we start to expand the sporting landscape and, and get a few more options of live sports programming, uh, golf is golf is there for us. Uh, getting the getting the tournament going on at Colonial today, so so yeah, it was uh, it was about time we checked in with Alex and see how he was doing. 
That's right. Well, let's uh, check in with the warm-up here to get things started. Uh, not only are we seeing sports starting to come back slowly but surely, uh, Hollywood productions are scheduled to start back up with certain COVID-sensitive restrictions. Uh, and that is going to lead to, according to reports, likely fewer fight and sex scenes or scenes where performers would otherwise be in closer contact with each other. Uh, can you imagine how different some of the classic movies would look had these regulations been in place? at those times, like at the end of Jerry Maguire, where she would say, you had me at hello, by yelling very far across uh, the room there, or uh, in Titanic, uh, Rose would actually have an excuse for not letting Jack on the piece of the boat at the end of the movie that she was floating on, right? Be like, sorry, Jack, social distancing, my bad. Uh, or one of my favorites that I came up with is uh, the first rule of Fight Club, all fights take place virtually via Zoom. That would be a very different movie, very different movie. The Titanic's around the time of the Spanish flu, right? If we're, if we're looking at historical accuracy. Um, so, so I don't know. It might have not been historically accurate as, as um, clearly it is uh, in the entirety of that movie. Yeah. What about like all of the fight movies, you know, like Rocky, mm -hmm. the, the, the sweat and everything just flying at each other. Like there's no way they could film all of that. Yeah. You know, Raging Bull, uh, any Bruce Lee flick, uh, you know, Enter the Dragon. And I, and I get it. It is movie martial arts um but still i mean you know by the way the bruce lee 30 for 30 was pretty awesome pretty like cool. the 12 angry men would need a much bigger jury deliberation room <laughs> like they could probably only go in six at a time that's right that's right frankly my dear i don't give a damn <laughs> all right let's get to our game time topics here uh, the movement continues right uh, there is no denying that the paradigm has shifted with respect to the national discourse with regard to race. You had Drew Brees, as highly respected a franchise quarterback as there is in the game of football, perhaps in the history of football. Uh, and he was spewing the standard in, in uh, one of those adjacent interviews, uh, the standard respect the flag speeches. Uh, and he was then lambasted by teammates and others around the league, forcing him to issue not one, but multiple apologies. Uh, and to me, that's really symbolic of this paradigm shift that we're talking about. Uh, whereas previously, the discourse involving police brutality and racial prejudices, right, that came in the form of those national anthem kneeling protests, they were overwhelmed by the weight of nationalism, right, and people making it about the flag and about patriotism. Whereas Breeze's expression of nationalism here, just four years later, basically, was overwhelmed by the weight of police brutality and the discussion of racial prejudices like that is such a mind-blowing change turning of the tables if you will you also have athletes and leagues coming out strongly in unison with protesters and those seeking change heck nascar banned confederate flags from their events the pga held a moment of silence uh, in respect for the late george floyd as well as the movement as a whole uh, lebron james has joined others in establishing an organization called More Than a Vote, which is geared towards energizing black voters and thwarting voter suppression. Nearly 1,400 athletes, including Tom Brady, signed a Players Coalition petition in support of ending qualified immunity for police officers. So I ask you, Jordan, with all of this going on, your thoughts on what we have seen play out over the last couple of weeks, especially with regard to sports and the sports landscape? You know, I, I think it's great. I, I really do. The, Deep down, of course, it, it, it's hurtful that it, it was spurned on by uh, another instance of violence and, and murder. But the 
response, I, I think, has been so encouraging. Um, I, I, I applaud everybody who is leading the way uh, from a position of prominence, the athletes, uh, the prominent figures locally in communities, nationwide, internationally. Um, I, I, think it's, I think it's terrific, really. Um, what we have seen come out of this isn't just a cry for help. It has come with plans of action. It has come with um, movements to enact systemic change. I mean, you talk about LeBron leading the way when it comes to uh, organizing uh, a, a contingent of voters. Um, you talk about collegiate athletes who I think have found a level of influence in, in their voices and they are no longer afraid to have those voices suppressed by a structure really that, you know, uh, their coaches and administrators and everybody else kind of had a, a lockdown on these guys. And you are seeing a ton of collegiate athletes come out. You are seeing coaches saying that we are taking election day off because we're going to make sure everybody involved in our team is going to go to the polls and is going to vote. And, and I applaud every single one of those efforts. And I applaud the New Orleans Saints, right, uh, in, in speaking and, and holding that discourse with Drew Brees and and, um, you know, I'm not going to sit here and pat Drew Brees on the back or anything like that, but I think it is a great example of discussion of what a lot of people have been clamoring for and screaming for, for generations, uh, quite honestly, and, and voices being heard. And I think that is happening differently than in the past. There seemingly is, and, and maybe it's naive that we're so close to it. I, I hope it's got sustainability, uh, but it does seem different. It really does. It, it seems much more widespread. It seems much more accepted, um, and not just in acknowledging, but also accepting the responsibility individually and collectively for athletes and just everyday individuals to push forward, to actually see this through, as opposed to just, you know, making noise in the moment and, and uh, just doing it in the moment without any real substance to it. This seems to have more substance. Heck, you, you've even heard some of the reports that there are athletes, especially in the NBA, which has had such a prominent voice collectively and obviously individually, um, who are apprehensive of going to Orlando because they would be removing themselves from being on the front lines, if you will, actively involved in some of the social movements, uh, fighting for social justice. And I, and I think that's, that's something that, um, you know, is such a personal choice for a lot of these guys and and you know just to hear them kind of weigh that right it's like hey I might just forego playing the rest of the season because there's something bigger going on I think it's very encouraging yeah I agree with you this feels so much more tangible in nature as far as proceeding with potential change than what we have seen in other instances it just feels like this was a tipping point we have reached a point of no return I think when it comes to really starting to attack these issues, take them head on, and, and really try to figure out how we can come up with solutions. And you always hear this, this isn't just a black issue. This isn't just for the people who are aligned with Black Lives Matter. This is for everybody. And so you're seeing organizations like the PGA, NASCAR, who traditionally would not necessarily be considered as organizations that would take the steps to be at the forefront of such change. And here they are. Here they are exemplifying ways in which they can represent themselves as being in unison 
with these protesters and with this, this demographic of our society that is pushing for much needed change. I find it absolutely re remarkable. And, and, and I, I just think that we are living in an astounding time in our history. All right, so we move on to a little bit more standard sports talk. Uh, Fight Island. Do you like the name? Well, Max Holloway is scheduled to headline against Alexander Volkanovsky in a rematch as part of a UFC 251 event on Yas Island in Abu Dhabi. Uh, first of four scheduled fan-free events to be held on what is being termed Fight Island. Volkanovsky, of course, claimed the UFC featherweight title last December with a unanimous decision over Holloway. That was at UFC 245 in Vegas. Ah, oh, remember those days where we just had regular sporting events in Vegas in front of crowds? Uh, that snapped Max's 13-match win streak at 145 pounds, dating back to 2013. What do you think of the rematch of what was considered by many to be an extremely close decision fight? Yeah, I'm all for it. I'm excited. For sure. Uh, Dana White, for as much as I uh, have criticized him in the past, the guy can put on a show, right? And what is he going to do for the first fight on Fight Island? Three title fights? I mean, come on. I'm in. Like, I take my money. I'm going to definitely be tuning in early July when this happens. Uh, it's the fight that makes sense, right? I mean, those two guys have kind of cleared out the division at 145. It was a pretty tight decision. Uh, I, I think, in fairness, the, uh, the right decision for Volkanovsky. Um, you know, I think Max is going to have to change up the game plan for sure. Just ate so many of those leg kicks from uh, from the Australian uh, that I I'm still sore from just watching the fight. Um, but this is this is going to be awesome, right? I mean, we're, it's about a month's time from now. Uh, they're they're going to Abu Dhabi. Those have been some of the more I think uh, entertaining events. Is kind of when they go to the the Middle East, and uh, so I'm hoping for that. Um, and you know, for Max, it's a it's a shot at redemption. Uh, and I and I think for him, he is a guy that that uh, is very smart about the way he approaches. I think his team and the way they they go through camp and, and utilizing game plans. That was one of the first times, you know, maybe their game plan didn't work. So I'm 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 fascinated to see what it looks like uh, with their second crack at uh, Volkanovski in that one. Then you, you got the Usman fight. Uh, you've got the the Peter Jan Jose Aldo fight at. at uh, 135 for the vacant belt there after the Cejudo retirement. Uh, so yeah, this is this is going to be awesome. Uh, I will push back a little bit. Like it's an island kind of there off the coast. I mean, it's just like a little attachment. There's some waterways. You know, I was I was hoping for like a remote island in the middle of nowhere, uh, but that was just me dreaming up uh, a scenario. So yeah, fight island kind of. It's also I don't know if you've looked at Yas Island or whatever, but that place looks like like a utopia. My goodness. Yeah, uh, the UFC doesn't mind the surroundings presented by uh, Abu Dhabi when it comes to holding <laughs> events there. Uh, there's no doubt about it. Yeah, Fight Island is, it, it, it sounds pretty simplistic in nature. Uh, I tend to side with John Oliver and his suggestion of UFC with the C spelled S-E-A. Like, come on, man, that just sounds so much better, I think, more fitting. But yeah, I, I think when you are the champ and you lose on the cards uh, via decision, I, I think that in most cases, that's enough to earn you a rematch. And I think that's sort of what we're seeing here. It was a close fight. Um, one of the judges had it, uh, if I'm not mistaken, uh, all, the, all five rounds going in the direction of Volkanovsky. And so I think it was closer than that, but I agree with you. I do think Volkanovsky was legitimately crowned the, the champion. Uh, but I, I think it is deserving of a rematch, and, and, and we'll see what kind of game plan changes and strategic changes and schematic changes uh, come from Max Holloway and his 
team and, and, and what he has trained for here. Uh, let's get into a little bit more of the uh, reestablishment and reopening of sports on the local front. Here locally, even uh, on the island of Maui, uh, the county has allowed for certain outdoor sports to proceed with practices under certain guidelines, of course, but that includes soccer, baseball, canoe paddling, not yet uh, an announcement that pertains to rugby or football or some of the more collision or contact sports. Indoor gym sports also yet to be uh, announced as open for practicing. Uh, but the significance of this here as we start to strip away some of the restrictions uh, when it comes to athletics. Yeah, I think it's good. I think it's good for the young people too, right? A lot of these kids have been cooped up and having to, uh, you know, practice on their own in their backyards, uh, trying to, you know, sneak into parks or something like that. So it's good. You know, they, there are restrictions. They've, they've got to be in smaller groups, uh, explicitly say, you know, you can't huddle, you can't high five, uh, you can't do any handshakes. And so it's like, okay, we understand. Uh, but it's a good sign. It's a good sign. I, I think that we're slowly getting back to it. I don't know how far away before, like, you know, they actually allow competition or something like that where you can hold games. Uh, but it is an encouraging step forward, especially, you know, here locally as, as you kind of near um, the scholastic seasons, uh, you know, which isn't too far away in August. So it is a good sign. And selfishly, uh, I know you, you as well being a uh, – uh, a rec league all-star hooper um <laughs> I just want to get back in the gym man and get some shots up uh, a little basketball man uh get, get some hoops in but uh, I guess we got to wait a little longer yeah you mispronounced Makule league uh all-star <laughs> yeah um <laughs> yeah it, you know it's just it's it's a hint it's a hint towards a, a return back to getting to action uh, but there is a fear here, right? Because we're already seeing in certain pockets of the country, coronavirus percentages and numbers rising once again after the reopening of various elements of the community. And so I don't know if that's avoidable at this stage. You know, that's, that's the fear. Every step that we take is an extremely cautious one that has the potential of resulting in another spike in this thing, which would return us back to what we were experiencing a month ago. And so that's my fear. That's my concern. But gosh darn it, am I happy to see that uh, there is going to be some opportunity for uh, these kids to, to get out there and, and, and start participating and, and maybe even start competing again. I think that's so important for their mental and physical health. Uh, and, and so, you know, we just keep our fingers crossed uh, and that we still maintain a certain control uh, on this thing and uh, that we can then start to consider opening up other sports. And, and heck, you know, we're getting to that time in the summer where, uh, you know, you start regularly opening up football practices and start gearing up for football season. And so that that's what we're hoping for. But at this stage, that's all it really is, is just a hope. It's just an idea. And we'll see if uh, that comes uh, to a, a, a more cemented and tangible reality here. Uh, not much in the way of positive encouragement with regard to the return of Major League Baseball. Rob Manfred, the commissioner, uh, has said in the last 24 hours that he believes there is a 100% chance there will be a season here this year. But the labor dispute continues to throw the likelihood of that into further uncertainty. Uh, you have the Major League Baseball draft taking place this week that's already been shortened to just five rounds. You have limitations on signing bonuses for free agent signings. It is changing the complexion of baseball across the country at the professional and collegiate level uh, entirely. And so with that, you had a basically mass firing of minor league players. And we had some with Hawaii ties who were affected by that. Uh, including Maui's own Mark Caraviotis, 
uh, who basically lost his job because of the numbers game and Major League Baseball, along with its minor league affiliates, saying that, hey, they have to tighten up the, 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 the bootstraps and, and they have to make certain moves and take on certain considerations uh, to limit the money that they're otherwise going to be hemorrhaging under these coronavirus and, and COVID-19 circumstances. Uh, but at the major league level, when you're talking about these players making buku bucks and you're talking about these owners who are also making buku bucks, how bad of a look is this for major league baseball, not just the organization and the ownership, but even the players I, I think it's bad. I, I really do. I, you hear a lot of people drawing parallels uh, to 94, right, in, in that major work stoppage. And if they lose out on an entire season uh, squabbling over the financial details, and, like, I get it, it, it you know, and you're, you're, you're fighting and you're trying to figure this out. But if, if hockey can figure it out, if basketball can figure it out, if Major League Soccer can figure it out, and baseball's the only one, I think it's a major black guy. It really is. Rob Manfred says 100%. I am nowhere near that confident. I usually side with the players, and, and I still do see uh, the argument being a little bit more credible on the side of the players because they're the ones that are going to be putting forth all the risk, right, in playing mm -hmm. under these circumstances. Um, but that said, from an optics standpoint, uh, I, I think it gets a little murky when you're talking about a slew of minor league professional baseball players, right, who are just scraping and clawing and fighting for every dollar that they can make in hopes of getting that opportunity to have a cup of coffee, at least uh, in the big show. And many of them are now out of work and don't necessarily have any prospects uh, on the horizon because there are just going to be a lack of gigs. That's where it gets murky for me. Uh, I would definitely still uh, root for the players and, 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 and in most cases in terms of labor disputes side with the players uh, but I think this has become so complicated uh, with what we're seeing at the minor league level with what we're seeing with regard to the major league baseball draft uh, that I think that sympathy for the players in this scenario I think that's diminished to a, a very large degree all right with that let's get into our dominoes Hawaii main topping our our main uh, course, if you will, for this episode. We're going to be talking with Alex Urban. He's the executive director of the Century Tournament of Champions. The PGA is making a return this week with the Charles Schwab Challenge at the Colonial Country Club in Texas. And so Alex breaks that down as well as what this may mean as we count down towards the Century Tournament of Champions at Kapalua to be held in January. So let's go ahead and play that interview right now. What's up, Alex? How you been, man? It's uh, it's yeah. been a minute since we have uh, talked story with you. Aloha, guys. It's it's nice to uh, it's nice to be able to see you here. You know, normally I call in, so this is a nice change of pace. No, but to answer your question, uh, no things are things are going well. We're in the planning process and getting down the road and figuring things out for our event in January. And what a great thing PGA Tour starting golf back up today. That's exciting. Um, you know, I I'm personally I'm, it's kind of Cool to be part of the sport that's kind of leading the charge and getting getting back to professional sports and I don't know about you guys but as a sports fan myself just seeing anything live is uh is pretty cool and then for it to be our sport how cool is that yeah well we talked about it over the course of the quarantine and, and this whole experience and golf seems to lend itself to social distancing or at least it can afford a little bit more of those kinds of regulations and so you're right pga making a return this week with the charles schwab challenge at the colonial country club uh, in texas how significant is this just the general return 
of golf uh, as we continue to stride towards hopefully a, a level of normalcy that will benefit certainly the Century Tournament of Champions come January? Yeah, it's an awesome question. And it's, um, it's not an easy task, I think, is the answer. It, it's to get to the point of getting golf played today has been an unbelievably coordinated effort from the PGA Tour, from government officials. And you're talking local and state, and national and CDC health organizations, all these people that need to be on the same page to, so that everyone feels comfortable hosting an event. And uh, I, th I think it's pretty impressive and cool the way that, that everyone's kind of come together and, and you know, you, you see a challenge in front of you and you rise to it. Um, you know, what's cool is, you know, we've had some, obviously everything's been canceled for the last few months, but, um, you know, we, the, the PGA tour, I think in that, in that stretch was still able to give $36 million back to charity, uh, around, around COVID-19. Um, you know, you saw the match that raised a good amount of money for charity between Tiger and Phil and you had, uh, Peyton Manning and, uh, Tom Brady and the Vix there. And that was, that was pretty, that was pretty amazing. And then the week before that you had the Taylor made driving relief event. That was pretty cool. Cause Seminole that golf club is incredibly cool. And you had Rory and DJ and newcomer, Matt Wolf and, uh, and Ricky who's um, you know, some of those guys are playing pretty well today in, uh, in Texas. Um, so it was, it, that was a cool thing. So, you know, getting back to playing golf is a huge part of the tour is that charity piece. But also just getting back to competition and, um, you know, seeing the best players in the world teed up in the field this week is incredible at, at, at the Charles Schwab Challenge. And we've got this absolute race to the Tour Championship. Uh, there's something like 14 events till we crown a, a FedEx Cup champ, which is amazing. And then you throw in for us here on Maui, uh, you know, our, our corner of the golf sphere the new qualification we've got this year, which is the top 30 guys in the FedEx Cup. I'm sure we'll talk about this later, but the top 30 guys in the FedEx Cup getting into the event. And we've got a whole, we got a really good reason to watch. You know, it's always a good reason to watch playoffs, but we've got extra reason to watch now because all 30 of those guys that qualify for championship in Atlanta will qualify for Maui here. So I don't know. I'm, I'm excited. I think taking the leading charge is really cool. That's, that's kind of where I'm, I'm at. It's like, hopefully this can be a help lead and lay the groundwork with all the work that's been done with those organizations to having other organizations able to come back too, so that we're all watching sports again. I know, I know you guys are like me. We got, we got to watch sports. Yeah. Without a doubt. Uh, <laughs> just getting get live uh, events and not archived, you know, historic events <laughs> has been nice. Uh, how big is it that, that the field is as strong as you sort of alluded there, Alex, uh, you know, you mentioned Rory and what is it? Eight of the top 10 guys. Uh, in the world are in the field. Uh, it's as big a field as they've had in a while because I think even the top guys in the world, they just want to get back to playing competitive golf. And, and so this is this is kind of a blockbuster coming out of the gates. Yeah, well, you know, our guys, are, our players are independent contractors, right? So they always set their schedules. Um, and, you know, the PGA Tour provides so many playing opportunities for the players throughout the year, right? And so everyone creates a different schedule for themselves, whether they like to play in chunks or whether they like to skip and do every other week. Some guys play every week. They just love to, they literally grind and play 30, 35 events a year. Just depends on your personal preference. What we've got here is with not having tournaments for a little while, everyone's wanting to play and play a lot. And so I think you're going to see these fields all be really strong because they want to play. They want to, you know, earn points, FedEx Cup points for the playoffs, for the tour championship. Um, I also think our guys just love the sport. <laughs> I think they just miss playing. Like I, 
I get that sense from a few of them. They're just like happy to be out there. It's um, like any of us, right? It's nice to, you know, I'm sure you guys will be happy to get back in the radio studio when, when, you know, no different than that. This is what they do for a living. And um, yeah, I, I, that whole just like rising, rising to the challenge of it all is pretty cool. And so I think those, our players are, are kind of have that mindset. Yeah. And also the, the fact that it's at colonial, uh, down there in the Dallas area of, you know, one of the long standing traditions with that course hosting a tournament for, I don't know what, 60 plus years or whatever it is now. Um, just uh, how, do, how does that factor into things as well? Uh, the fact that uh, you've got this field and then you've got this kind of historic venue to, to reintroduce the tour, if you will. Yeah, it's a, it's a great place to reintroduce it. I mean, I think that's, uh, you've got a, you've got a track that's, you know, you, the PJ Tour has a whole different there, – there's a multitude of types of courses, right? You've got – it really spans a whole lot of different types of golf courses. And uh, Colonial is one of those places that's just one of the old-school tree-line tracks, which as a golfer myself, those are some of the ones that I tend to like the most. Um, there's there's nothing tricky about it. It's just a – it's a good test of golf. So that's – what a good place to come back. You know, it's, I'm sure some of them hit a lot of balls and prepared, and I'll bet a bunch of them – took some time off and good on them if they did that. I mean, our, I was kind of alluding to it before. We've got so many events. There's sometimes not a huge time to take a deep breath. So, you know, I, I know Brooks Kepka is one that I saw. I was reading about him having taken some time off and feeling recharged um, and apparently has a mustache now. So, <laughs> you know, we're, we're recording this as the first round uh, is taking place over there uh, at the Colonial and, and we're seeing some pretty low scores. Uh, are you surprised? Were you anticipating a little more rust? Uh, as you mentioned, that that course is is pretty golfer friendly for the most part. Uh, but are you surprised by the quality of play we've seen so far? I'm never surprised by how good our players are. I would say, like I, I think if you get any golf course on tour, just about any course, and you give them the right conditions, they'll score. That's just a fact. Now you go around plantation course here. It's that's not an easy golf course. But if there's no wind, the guys can just fire at every stick because they're so good. It's 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 absolutely ridiculous. I I'll be interested to see if there's some competitive rust as we get into rounds three and four, and guys are kind of, you know, you're not used to the nerves of playing with stuff on the line. But for a first second round, these guys know what it takes to prepare to play. They know how many balls they need to hit. They know what kind of range time they need to put in. And for the last, you know couple of months they knew this they had this circled on the calendar so I'm not surprised that some guys are playing well but uh, I'll be interested to see if there's some competitive rust when we get get closer to Sunday. You, you take part in a lot of, of the, the conversations pertaining to how to move forward some of the brainstorming processes uh, how out of the box has it gotten I mean when you talk about the match and, and how the players were mic'd up and we got to get some of that inside information and in lieu of having fans there uh, are, are you aware of, of just some of the discussions that have occurred as far as taking this very different and unprecedented experience and sort of taking advantage of the opportunity to come up with new innovative ideas for the presentation of the game? What kind of ideas can you tell us have been kicked around? No, it's a, it's a really cool question. And, and I have been lucky enough to be a part of some of the conversations, especially around some of the alternate competitions that have been happening and it, it wasn't just the match and the Taylor made driving relief there was also some stuff that was done uh with the um pj tour 2k video game um and we had some players playing that and um you know 
live streaming it and bringing fans into the conversation, all that fun stuff. And, uh, you know, that I remember at the outset, the, those brainstorms were, were pretty, uh, were pretty fun. And it was cool that some, some great things came out of it. Right. I think that what we, what we saw at the match was very entertaining. I loved the Taylor. I I loved watching Dustin Johnson and Rory McIlroy carrying in their own bags. Like, when, when is something you were able to see that? Like it, it looked like a college match. It was, but it was cool. It it provides some insight into our players in a different light, right? Um, and to me, I think that uh, you know some of the stuff you think about miking up players. And I saw that a couple of guys have actually agreed to do it this week. Um, as the tour, I think the sport's always evolving how it's presented. And there's been some new stuff even within the PJTour.com and our app and you know shot link and it traces all the shots and there's there's this really cool new presentation of 3d hole overlays where you can see in real time and then you can literally click and watch a replay of that shot seconds after it happens i mean it's amazing the real-time instantaneous feedback that you can get now because everyone's watching golf or tv or sports with on their phone as well and they're looking up the stats and where they have an ipad out and watching second screens i think that's pretty cool um, so watching that kind of evolve and it's funny, you watch like a, like we talked about watching old sports, right? They were, sh- they'll show a player's championship from like not that long ago, 2005, which I guess is 15 years ago now, but it doesn't feel like that long ago. And just look at the difference in quality of TV product from then to now. I, it's, it's, I, mean, now you get so much shot tracer, all this stuff. It's so it's awesome. There's at least the chance, there's at least the possibility that come January, the Century Tournament of Champions is also a fan-free event. I mean, there's at least the chance. You have to at least keep that in mind here throughout the planning process. How would that change how you construct that tournament? Because it becomes less of a motivation for a fan experience, a live fan experience, and more of a made-for-TV type of event. From your perspective, how would that be different in the planning process? Yeah, it's a good question. And, you know, I think it's important to say that I, I think a no fan possibility is, is probably, you know, hopefully the least likely perspective that we have. And I think it's a fun thought experiment to think through it. And we're, of course, planning for all possibilities between now and then. So it's like trying to predict the future, right? Um, not, not always the easiest thing to do. And we're always working closely with all of the government officials to kind of see how things progress. And even talking with other in key industry people, whether it's the Invitational or, or whoever, people with that are also asking the same questions. Um, but no, you're, it's an interesting question. You know, no fans or even less fans. You can kind of, you know, use the use that as a way to to test certain things and how that would affect us specifically. I think what you'll see is it would affect it, and what however it's affecting these first four events, they're definitely going no fans right now. And, um, I think you're going to see them try a few new things and learn a few new things. The good thing about our event is that it's always good on TV. (laughs) The views are so good. You don't have to try too hard to to present a nice TV product here. Um, But I think you'd see more of that uh, interactive player piece. I think there's a, I was reading something about this week where there's a booth that players can go into and uh, answer a question on a screen, kind of like a, almost like, Almost like those uh, reality TV confessional booths that they've got. So it's, you know, it's entirely up to the player whether or not they want to walk into there or not. And um, I think what's really cool about this stuff, and, and I think it's something that people sometimes don't often know, is that um, our player action committee, the PGA Tour, has a committee of player leaders 
that basically help determine and ratify any of these types of decisions, especially when they relate directly to the competition and to the players themselves. So the fact that they're open to this kind of stuff, to me, that that's what's really cool. You're seeing this new crop of young guys, like a Ricky Fowler is a perfect example, who understands the value of being a little bit more accessible and how that makes the sport better for our fans. Yeah, well, what's been your impression of uh, the spectatorless first round so far at Colonial? Yeah, I've, I've, I've watched about 15 minutes of it so far. I'll watch a lot more this afternoon. I've been on meet. We got meetings. We're planning for a tournament. You know, <laughs> I got this darn job I got to do. I can't just sit and watch golf all day. But no, I'll, I'll pop it on this afternoon a little bit more. It reminds me of without without fans. It reminds me of uh, you get some of the early morning because PJ Tour Live is, is a, has existed for uh, a few years now, which is uh, a, a PGA Tour product where we. Uh, provide featured group coverage of some of the early rounds that are prior to the TV window, especially, you know, on Thursday and Friday. So it's hitting some of those guys that aren't within the, you know, the golf channel window. Uh, and it reminds me of those broadcasts because there's generally on Thursday morning at a 7:30 AM tea time. That's the least amount of crowd you get for a normal tour event for the week. And so it can be a little, you know, a little bit more, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Not muted isn't the right word, but it's definitely a serene atmosphere for competition. And then you start watching. I was just like literally the, the 30 minutes I was watching John Rahm chipped in and the guys are, they're still reacting to stuff. They're excited. I mean, it's weird not to hear the, the roar of a chip in or something like that. I think that's, that's a little strange or it reminds me, you know, you, if you watch like Augusta when they go out to 12, that par three and they hit into the par three and there's no fans back behind that green. So you don't really, that it reminds me of that, but for everything. And how much uh, you mentioned uh, part of your job, right? And, and I'd imagine part of your job is kind of observing the tournament as it evolves, whether it's here or the next five events, where there are scheduled to be no fans, or once we get to Mirfield and and we see some fans start trickling in, they're apparently going to be required to wear masks. Uh, how much reconnaissance goes into observing these tournaments? And, and I'm sure you've got you're in meetings and whatnot. Uh, talking about how things unfold and, and learning from that as you guys put the planning in for, for January. Well, first of all, I'm just happy that I somehow figured out how to have a career where watching golf is actually something I'm <laughs> supposed to do. I don't know how I figured that one out, but I, uh, I'll chalk that up as a win. Um, no, it's a, it's a ton of look, watching. You know, we have a whole team of operations, tournament services, managers, teams. We got people running all these tournaments and we have, we're in constant conversation with, um, you know, the organizations that tie all the tournaments together, because it's a lot of independent organizations outside of the PGA Tour. And it's all about learning. I, I always think that we're kind of lucky and it's pretty cool that we can have these other tournaments to learn from. And, and that's only going to get more important as we watch these first few events. And, you know, the folks on the ground um, are going to be, their, their knowledge and what they're seeing firsthand is going to be invaluable to the events as they continue to progress. I think that's what's going to be interesting to watch is how it progresses, right? These first four events are no fans. Um, I know the events afterwards are kind of parallel planning, like kind of what you mentioned, where you're planning for all the possible contingencies. And so we got, well, first of all, Mirfield Village is going to host back-to-back -back events. They've got this workday sponsored event that, that presented itself. And then the following week is going to be the Memorial Tournament, the Invitational, as it, as it is normally contested. And that going to be the first four event with fans so that's going to be very interesting it's uh it's a great tournament to, to have for the first one for fans. awesome market I'm, I'm going to talk it up because i'm from columbus ohio but 
it's a uh, it's a great golf market. One, I mean, it's a home of Jack Nicklaus, uh, one of the the greatest courses and venues and tournaments that we've got on tour. Uh, I, I think it's a perfect place to check and see. Um, you know, let's let's give it a go and be a leader within the sports industry. I love it. You know, speaking of of leadership. Uh, and, and being a leader, uh, the PGA hasn't necessarily, despite all of its philanthropic work uh, throughout the various communities, hasn't necessarily been an organization that you would first think of when it comes to speaking out on social issues. But we saw prior to the first tee off time today, uh, a moment of silence take place uh, in honor of the late George Floyd and sort of as a symbol to recognize what is happening throughout the country around us. Now you've worked with the PGA, you continue to work alongside the PGA in your current capacity. Uh, what is your opinion of that, of the PGA taking that step um, on behalf of what is becoming a, a continually more diverse field of players and membership uh, to take that kind of stand, or at least to project that kind of, of unity? Yeah, and I, I know that uh, the commissioner, Jay, um, who we're very so lucky to have him leading our organization, had a really, he sent a really cool piece of communication out um, just about his thoughts and, and kind of personal thoughts. And I feel very similarly to him, which is a lot of listening, a lot of that, that, that kind of thing. And that's kind of the role, the main role that the, the, that the tour has taken. But the, the moment of silence this morning, very cool. I think um, the whole goal is to continue the conversation, right? And so we'll use as, use our platform at the tour to continue that conversation. And there was also a really nice, um, really interesting kind of one-on-one uh, -on -one between Jay and one of our players, Harold Barner III. It's an awesome dude. He's a, I, I got to know him fairly well. He, he lives in Jacksonville or did live in Jacksonville when I lived there when I was working at the tour, uh, who's one of our black players. And he's, he's a great guy. And they, they just had a very frank, open and honest conversation. I think that was, uh, that showed up on PGA tour social media and, um, no, I, I happen to think that those are the kinds of continuing the conversation, all, all of that kind of um, sentiment is, is exactly the right thing and, and listening and um, trying to be part of the solution, I think is how Jay phrased it. And I, I couldn't agree more with that. So I think everyone's trying to figure out what that means. Um, and I, I think we'll be, we'll be really excited to be part of that. And I think those steps that the, part of that conversation that we've already had, you know, I think, uh, to me, I, I think it feels like we're, we're continuing that conversation. Uh, getting back to the Century Tournament of Champions, uh, it sounds as though you are pretty confident of what this thing is going to look like with the restructuring of the field and, and being the top 30 players uh, in the FedEx rankings. Um, that seems to me to be reflective of just this very open level of support that the PGA is providing for your event, as well as the support that's coming from the title sponsor Century. I mean, they're just a really solid foundation for this thing that even in a year like this, where there were so many uncertainties and questions as to how are we going to fill the field when there aren't going to be the number of individual tournament champions, um, they come up with this kind of solution. Yeah, I'm, I, I'm an, I'm an optimist when it comes to stuff like this. So I, I, uh, I look towards January and I see a future. I, yeah. Will, will there be certain things we're still following? Absolutely. I, I would be absolutely shocked. 
And that's probably a good thing, probably long-term, if, if we're thinking about our health food standards even higher than we were already doing a great job. But like, I think more cleanliness and it, there's nothing bad about that. So I, I imagine we'll be implementing some things that, that are gonna be continued from then and some percentage of social distancing, whatever that still looks like come January. Um, but yeah, I, I, I'm an optimist in that, in that, in that realm of, of things. And um, yeah, I think that support you're talking about, you know, we're owned and operated by the PGA tour. So I'm, I'm fortunate enough to work for the PGA tour. So um, I've been so happy with how engaged everyone has been as we've gone through this process and just trying to, I mean, these, these long documents and they're, they're, fascinating these people that are solving problems you talk about solving problems that you didn't know were going to exist and everyone's just you, you kind of really see the value of a good organization and then that all, of course also bleeds over into our title sponsor and we've talked about this a million times how lucky we are to have a title like century that is so invested into this island i mean a couple months ago so they, they century announced that they were going to give you know a million dollars to different um, uh, United Way branches because that's a big partner, charitable partner of their foundation in Stevens Point, Wisconsin. And as part of that, they gave $200,000 to the Maui United Way, the largest of any of the single donation. And this is, and this is completely separate from what we generate from the tournament. We're actually announcing next week um, what our charitable, you know, since our event was held in January, we still generated our, our charitable dollars, which is awesome. And it's a great number and I'm really excited about it. But this is that $200,000 is in addition to this. number. So you talk about a group that's just invested and it's, it, you could say that all day long and talk till you're blue in the face, but I, the action speaks a lot louder than the words and continually they have put their their money where their mouth is and it's very cool to see and it's very genuine um their support is uh it's absolute it's just it's just awesome we we i i i've often said that we have the best title on tour and i will stand by that um to anybody so great for the event i mean shoot we're, we're gonna have this tournament at least through 2030 because of their support how about that the security uh of it all i think is really um, something that uh, the tournament didn't have in the past, and I think this is this is great going forward. Um, earlier, you, you sort of touched on the the field and, and the qualification for the field, which is different this season, obviously, with everything kind of flipped upside down. Or, or how do you like how they went about, uh, you know, determining who gets in the field, and and uh, do you see any sort of lasting? Um, impact going forward like you know for 2022 i guess which is kind of wild yeah. way in the future you know is it it's the tournament of champions but uh, it's a little different this year i'll answer the second part of that question first which is uh no i don't i don't i don't see our field i love our field qualifications normally i love that this is the tournament of champions i think century loves that it's the tournament of champions or importantly our players love that it's the tournament of champions i think to have a unique we're the only tour event where the only way to get in is to win a tournament. You can get into tour championship without winning. You can get into the masters without winning. You can get into a lot of tournaments without winning. We are unique on the PGA tour in that respect. So I don't think that going forward, we'll take this year and, and apply it um, just to preserve the, to me, what is 
the fabric of this event. And, and, and I think that, uh, I think that's how we'll handle that. Um, it was really cool to me how this came about. So the, the new field qualification this year is obviously the winners from this year will qualify. So we've had 11 winners so far this year. We'll have a winner this week, which is awesome. Um, and so we'll take all the winners from the calendar year 2020. Uh, in addition, the 30 guys that qualify for the tour championship. And, you know, and it, we had all these ideas. You talk about a bunch of ideas. We, I, I had a whole spreadsheet of, and like, like a eight page document of ideas, Jordan, of just like, what are the different ways we could look at this and what are the benefits? And I mentioned earlier, this player action committee on tour, you know, they're the ones that brought this to the, to the forefront, which I think is really cool. Cause so here they are having this meeting. This was months ago to talk about what are we going to do? Or they're, you know, they're trying to approve a November date for the masters and, and some of these, event and trying to figure out and really shake up the schedule and from the way it was kind of relayed to me it was the players were kind of like okay well we're gonna have less chances to qualify for the century tournament of champions how do we 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 want to make sure we have the opportunity to play there like we normally do and it was player driven and so they're the ones that really started the conversation and what that says to me is that that's that's like one of the first things that they think about is how do i get back to hawaii how do i get back to maui um for, for our event, which, I mean, how cool is that? You got a room full of these guys talking about the most, what are the most important things about golf right now? And they're talking about us. And so I think that kind of speaks for itself in terms of, um, you know, once, once they kind of came to us and said, Hey, you know, we want this qualification. And the reason they're, the reasoning behind it is they like that this event is a reward, right. For really good play recently in 2020. And so the, the FedEx Cup is really the best way to identify those guys that are playing really well this year and earned it this year, as opposed to some other idea. I mean, there were ideas like, hey, should we invite all the past champions? And stuff that might have been cool, and, like, I think it would have had merit on, on its own. But when you really think about what this tournament is, that reward for good play, especially this year, the, the FedEx Cup Top 30 makes a, makes a heck of a lot of sense. Well, we're looking forward to it. Um, the Century Tournament of Champions will live on for sure. And uh, it sounds oh, yes. like it is about as, as healthy and ready to handle the kind of difficulties and complexities that uh, have introduced themselves here in 2020. Uh, Alex, you're the man. We always love talking with you. It's great <laughs> catching you, up. Uh, and great to have some golf on TV to watch. So we'll yeah. let you get back and do just that. Yes, that's exactly. I'm going to fire it up. I'm looking at the leaderboard. Colin Morikawa, he's on the leaderboard again. Kid can play. That's right. The guy with the ties to Maui. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to dive in watching golf. Very good. Well, well-deserved. And uh, we'll talk to you again as we uh, get closer to the Century Tournament of Champions. Thanks, Alex. Yeah, thanks for having me on, guys. Let's take a quick break and we'll come back with our post-game best and worst. Hey, for our listeners on Maui, we are holding out hope that the 18th season of the Maui Flag Football League will take place as scheduled this summer. The MFFL is a youth flag football league for boys and girls ranging in age from 3 to 18, broken up into divisions of seven different age groups representing five districts, upcountry, Wailuku, Kahului, Kihei, and Lahaina. The goal of the MFFL is to teach the game of football without the worry of violent contact, concussions, or weight cutting. It's all about having fun, being active, and making new friends while reinforcing important values like teamwork, perseverance, and respect for your fellow players and coaches. 
For more information on the Maui Flag Football League, please call 808-280-7513 or email MauiFlagFootball at gmail.com and get signed up. All right, back to the show. All right, Jordan, let's get into our post-game. Best and worst. What is your worst here for this long overdue episode of the podcast? Yeah, mine's mine's is a little flippant, uh, just a little bit of a complaint. Uh, we, we, we talked to our buddy Alex Urban. Uh, golf is back. It's awesome. We had heard the reports. Hey, they, we, you know, they're going to mic up some players. It's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be like the match with Tiger and Phil. Uh, and only Ricky Fowler was mic'd up today at the, at the Charles Schwab. Uh, so only one guy. And, of course, it's Ricky Fowler. Uh, every, everybody's champ, right? Everybody loves Ricky Fowler. Uh, and I get it. Like, first competitive round back, like, nobody knows how exactly it's going to go. And I could see players being a little apprehensive, at least this at this point, uh, right? And you don't want to let uh, some language slip or something like that. But I was hoping for a, I was hoping for a little bit more. Uh, so kudos to you, Ricky. Still my hero. Uh, I got to go watch uh, more of the round after this to, to hopefully hear some, some Ricky Fowler insight. But, uh, yeah, he's the only one. Yeah, can't we point the boom mics, like, or at least position them around the greens and the tee boxes and point them directly at these guys to pick up a little bit more, perhaps, even if they're not personally mic'd up? All right, my worst, uh, we're going back to NASCAR. NASCAR truck car racer Ray Cicerelli says he's quitting after the organization banned Confederate flags at events. Now, I don't know much about NASCAR, let alone NASCAR truck car racing, uh, but from what I gather, Cicerelli is a regular also-ran and so what he says really shouldn't matter that much, but uh, it doesn't take away from how tone deaf it is, right? It represents a blatant slap in the face to a much higher profile NASCAR driver and personality in Bubba Wallace, uh, who is going to sport a Black Lives Matter sign uh, on his car. Uh, and also, I think just his name, if you say it fast, it sounds like you are saying the word racist in his name, racist Sorelli. So yeah, I just, I, it's just too easy uh, when uh, criticizing this guy let's move over to the best side what's your best yeah my best uh you mentioned mlb draft started yesterday uh in my chicago cubs i was pumped with their pick man uh high school shortstop uh ed howard with the 16th overall pick uh, i just think it's an awesome story uh, the, the kid's a, a local kid from the south side of chicago went to mont carmel high school uh pretty famous school there in in the greater chicago area uh was on that 2014 Jackie Robinson little league team that made it to the little league world series. Um, you know, a, a product of, of the South side of Chicago and drafted by, by the Cubs, uh, was actually sort of in a white Sox youth program. Uh, so the Cubs kind of scooped him away, uh, from the Southsiders, uh, in the drafts. So I, I, that's my, that's my best. I was, I was stoked to see, um, the local kid from there in Chicago, get a chance to play for my Cubs potentially, uh, and uh, I hope he, I hope he pans out, man. They, a lot of guys high on this best defensive infielder they say in the draft. Um, you know, he's got some 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 good uh, bat skills to go with it. Power uh, hopefully develops. So yeah, I'm I'm excited. Kid uh, playing Little League World Series for Jackie Robinson Little League. Everything going on. Uh, I just think it's awesome. Yeah, that is pretty cool. How about the number one overall pick, Spencer Torkelson, first baseman from Arizona State, who wasn't drafted out of high school, and here he is Unbelievable. later, the number one overall pick. That's uh, that's just incredible. Yeah, uh, unbelievable. Uh, the, the way I was seeing some of the scouts rave about his hitting ability, right, average and power, I mean, they were talking about, like, among the best hitting prospects in the last 20 years. Uh, and I was like, how did that happen? He didn't get drafted in high school. Uh, that, that is amazing. 
yeah. not just to be the, the, to, to be a a potential all timer pick. Uh, pretty amazing. Yeah, broke Barry Bonds' freshman home run record at Arizona State was two home runs shy of the career program record set by Bob Horner. Uh, and yeah, wasn't like supremely recruited and, and wasn't even drafted out of high school. That's a pretty rare feat for sure. My best, we go to one of the best, Michael Jordan, looking more like Mike Sakamoto. MJ and his crew on his boat reeled in a 442.3 pound blue marlin. This was at a fishing tournament in North Carolina. And the best part of this, Jordan, why it is my best, the name of his boat. It's called Catch 23. <laughs> the goat does it again. That's a great boat name. That is. I mean, for Michael Jordan, obviously. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't think it would man, that resonate is... quite as much if it was. Sure, sure. Guy. Sure. Um, yeah, that's that's better than I think any of the license plates we saw during the last dance. Uh, I can imagine that's a nice boat, too. I mean, it's got to be a pretty big one if you're reeling in Marlins. Uh, so that's uh, MJ, man, living the good life. Um, all right. Well, it, we want to thank Alex Urban, certainly, for jumping on with us. We appreciate that. Good to be back. I'll try to take better care of the laptop here. Uh, but, Jordan, good talking with you, man. Uh, we'll do it again here shortly. As always, glad to be back. 